Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, January 13, 2019. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting. Matt Norlander is here with me, and it's a pretty wild weekend uh, for the sport. Cam Reddish hit a wide-open three-pointer in the final seconds to lift Duke past Florida State on Saturday. Zion Williamson got hit in the eyeball in the first half, didn't play in the second half, said he had double vision. Regardless, Duke still wins, and that was Really just one of many impressive road victories this weekend. Tennessee won at Florida. Virginia smashed Clemson at Clemson. Gonzaga won at San Francisco. Kansas survived at Baylor. Texas Tech won at Texas. Ole Miss won at Mississippi State to improve to 13-2. and Kansas State won at Iowa State. We're going to get to some of that, maybe most of that in this episode eventually. But I wanted to start with the the most impressive road win of the weekend, or at least the most surprising, and that was Louisville's 83-62 win at number 12, North Carolina. Chris Banks Cardinals were 11-point underdogs in Chapel Hill, win by 21. It's not every day you see a double-digit underdog win by 20, but it happened on Saturday. And now UNC has got one of the weirdest bodies of work in the sport of college basketball. The Tar Heels have beaten Gonzaga at home, beaten NC State on the road, beaten Wofford on the road. And let me pause for a second and recognize the Wofford Terriers. You might remember on a previous <laughs> podcast, Norlander was erect about UNC's season opening win at Wofford. Said it would be a quadrant one win. And at the time, Wofford was 118th at Kempom. And considering Wofford had never finished in the top 80 at Kempom like ever, I basically said Norlander was being cuckoo for Coco Puss. But look now, Wofford's 14-4. and Only losses are to North Carolina, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Mississippi State. And the Terriers are currently ranked 41st at Ken Palm and 33rd in the net. So UNC's win at Wofford right now is a quad one win. Shouts to Mike Young and his Terriers. Awesome so far. Shouts to you, Norlander. You really nailed it on Wofford. Well, I, I appreciate that. If I had the time, desire, means, or frankly, uh, the ego, which I hope I don't, I would actually, after we're done doing this pod, I would go grab the clip from that episode, just kind of splice it right as you started what you said about 45 seconds ago, have replay when you ran down Wofford's history at Ken Palm over the previous 16 years when you were riding that wave as high as you possibly could. And yeah, yeah. I don't get I don't get that insistent about many things, uh, but I was pretty sure I was like, dude, if Wofford, you're, you're now telling me Wofford's going to do something, it's never done. But that is exactly what's happening. Wofford is doing something it's never done. Again, to jump from like 118 at Ken Palm to um, where are they again? 41? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a massive jump. And so, again, impressive stuff. And really, you know, in that league right now, there's four teams that got like 14 or 15 wins. Uh, uh, so that's a that's a strong league. And I wonder if, if Wofford could – if Wofford were to win out, maybe lose in its conference title game, if it would still be able to be in play for an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament, like could that league be a two-bid league um, if the at-large is Wofford? Because the computers are going if, – if Wofford does what I say, you know, it could do, which is win out, then maybe lose in a championship game, the computers would say that Wofford's good enough to be under consideration for an at-large bid. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. Back to North Carolina. Like I said, North Carolina has perhaps the weirdest body of work in the country. Home win over Gonzaga. Road wins at NC State and Wofford. Neutral court win over UCLA. That's the good. The bad is a neutral court loss to a Texas team that's 10-6 and six with losses to Radford, Providence, and Oklahoma State. 
a neutral court loss to a Kentucky team that's just four and three against Tim Palm's top 100. And then, of course, Saturday's 21-point loss at home to a Louisville team that was coming off a loss to Pitt. It was Roy Williams' worst home loss ever at UNC. North Carolina is now 12-4 and in Orlando. What do you make of the bipolar Tar Heels? They are bipolar, um, and I agree with you. I've lost track of what I was, uh, to a certain extent, what I was writing and tweeting about in real time as Saturday played out. But I think I mentioned UNC, I think. I mentioned some team's weird uh, resume, and I believe it was Carolina, because they've got some good quad one uh, wins. They they are accumulating a lot. I don't think they've lost a game outside of the quadrant one sector at this point in the season. And, uh, yes, definitely down the road. Let's let's circle back on the SoCon and the teams involved there because I think the SoCon, hashtag 2-bid SoCon, could be a thing this year because it will also help Wofford if it can stay quad one. It, I believe that stuff like this has an impact on the committee where if, if it gets referenced in the media podcast and the committee room that Wofford was a quadrant one opponent, I think it actually would help their case if they didn't get in and say Furman, Greensboro, East Tennessee State got it. Anyway, we'll deal with that down the yep. road. So- SoCon is definitely uh, – possible let me get details on that real quick Watford 14 and 4 East Tennessee State 15 and 4 UNC Greensboro 15 and 3 Furman 15 and 3 they're all in the top 125 at Ken Palm and uh actually no I think they yeah all in the top 125 at Ken Palm and Wofford is in Wofford's now in the top 40 uh, so they've moved up two spots today <laughs> somehow Crazy. from what I notes earlier today so um, it really could be a two-bit league. That's not the craziest thing in the world. Go no, ahead. It, no, it it can be, and I'd love to. Frankly, I'd love to see it. Furman's got, uh, you know, we talk about UNC's weird resume. Furman's also got one because their non-con for the most part isn't that good, but they've got really notable wins. And like Loyola, Chicago beating Illinois State over the weekend. Like Furman needs Loyola, Chicago to run through the Missouri Valley to help its case as best it can. Um, let's uh, on the Friday podcast upcoming. Let's make sure to give the Furman at Wofford game a little bit of preview love as well, because that would be a, a a very big game within that league. Uh, Wofford's yet to take a uh, take a loss, and Furman could really use that win. As for UNC, don't know what to make of the team. Um, still rates in a healthy way uh, across multiple advanced metrics. Uh, Ken Palm, obviously, being the most notable one and ever referenced on this podcast. It's still it's still number ten heading into Monday morning, despite being a four-loss team. And it's ranked ahead of one loss Nevada. It's ranked ahead of one loss Buffalo, three loss Florida State. It's 10 spots ahead of three loss Oklahoma. Maryland's not within uh, sniffing distance right now. NC State, which UNC has a win over and only has two losses. North Carolina is still 15 spots ahead. And we are almost at the point, it gets to about mid-January, so maybe about six to ten days from now, when all of the preseason factors that go into the Ken Palm algorithm, those get tossed out and all of the rankings are purely related to data from this season alone. So Carolina's got a little bit, just a little bit, uh, a dash of it of the preseason factoring in. But I still think if you tossed all that out, it would rate as a top 15, top 16 team overall. And it's, I, I don't know. I, I, I like them, but I don't like them. What I saw on Saturday, and that was obviously an early tip, um, the first uh, of a couple games to watch there at noon, Good on Louisville for rebounding, and I believe, if I'm right, Parrish, we did, we're did. we now doing um, weekend picks on the site. So five games, five notable games, pick it up straight up and against the spread. You, like me, did have Louisville covering, right? Yeah, I just felt like I think Louisville's worst loss all season was by 13 points, and they've got multiple overtime losses. Like They've been pretty competitive with just about anybody, um, even if um, you know the record isn't great. And I – 
listen, it's a basketball game. I'm, I, I could certainly beat North Carolina, beating them by 20. But I felt like if you were going to give me Chris Mack and and what I think it was 11 points or 12 points. Yeah. Um, at, at, at when we made the pick was 11 or 12. You're going to give me Chris Mack with 11, and tw- 11 or 12 points against a North Carolina team that had already been a little all over the place, even if they were coming off a big win at NC State. I was just going to take the point. For once, I was right. I agree. And that for me, it was more about Louisville having a, a poor performance prior to that and Mack being vocal about it. They just, you know, they they lose against Pitt and they didn't get blown out or anything, but if you watch that game, just Louisville gave away some opportunities. I thought they were going to rebound strong. I thought UNC was going to win, but I thought it was going to win around uh, five or seven points. No, Louisville wins by 21, um, and Carolina, it's just it has these lapses defensively. Nas Little was not quality whatsoever. Um, continues to struggle. So, I I think it was two pods ago, GP, where you had mentioned that you thought Carolina would have a shot. At uh, listen, I feel like everything that you're talking about on the podcast this season, you know what? Just write it in pencil, and then in a in a figurative <laughs> sense, we're just gonna erase it two, three episodes later. Like, do you still stick with your previous op- opinion? And granted, this is only GP. This is only one loss in the league. But are you sticking with uh, that you consider UNC as likely to finish atop the league as Duke and Virginia? Because that was your stance a mere four or five days ago. Well, I, let's make sure we know exactly what it is I said. I said Duke and Virginia were clearly the best two teams in that league, and I did not put North Carolina in their class. But because of the way the schedule was set up with this unbalanced ACC schedule, they I, – I can't remember the details. I, I think maybe I'll remember if I look at it here. At the time, there was one, two, three, four, five top 20 or 25 Ken Palm teams, and – Duke had to play, I think, four of them on the road. Virginia had to play four of them on the road. And North Carolina only had to play two of them on the road. And one of them was already in the rearview mirror. And so my point was, no, North Carolina is not as good as Duke or Virginia. But North Carolina might finish right up there with Duke and Virginia based on the way the schedule is laid out. Still possible, by the way. But as I said, the... Carolina's weird, and and the ACC can just create scenarios, results, and patterns that we wouldn't expect. And maybe there's balance here. Like, you think maybe UNC would have lost or should have lost at UNC, at NC State, sorry, and then it comes home and it loses at Louisville. So uh, it's one and one in that, but the way it lost at Louisville is also concerning overall. Talent-wise, I mean, the team is still good, but... Can you trust UNC? I guess I guess that's what I left Saturday after I watched that game. Can you trust this team? And I think it's gonna it's gonna just have to take a while if we're ever gonna get there. Doesn't mean that they won't win, or you shouldn't necessarily uh, put a few uh, few few pounds or coins on them, and occasionally if you're feeling good. But in the big picture, can you trust this team? I don't think you can say yes to that in any way right now. Well, it's weird because they do have massive wins. Like I said, the win it gets. Oh- the win at NC State, but Roy has never liked this team, or he's never talked positively about this team. Earlier in the season, it was like, we stink, I stink, this is the worst coaching job of my career, and after Saturday's loss, he was asked what the problem was, and he said that. And then, um, you know, he had, you know, in a, in a much more serious uh, subject, he also had one of his spells on the sideline where he dropped to a knee and clearly lost 
balance. And he was fine quickly and fine after the game, but that's always scary. He sort of joked in the way Roy does uh, afterward, like, I hope I don't die on the court when we're playing that badly. I want to die when we're playing well. But, you know, every time you see a man his age, you know, like have a moment like that, it is kind of – it's scary. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, it is. And we'll remind you that he recently, you know, a few months back, even though it only became public about a month ago, uh, signed quite the long contract extension. So, and when I talked to him in Chicago, he was like, no, this is, you know, I'm feeling good. And that's probably true. I also think that Roy, like a lot of coaches, but Roy in particular, because he's been attached to these vertical spells and there's been shots of him occasionally over the years of just like, you know, dropping to a knee. Um, he gets like his blood will boil sometimes during a game. And I'm sure he's got a fine physician that talks to him about this stuff and he might not be able to control it when you're, when you're down, 15 at home to Louisville, and you know you've got no business doing that. I think it's something that's a little bit hard to control. Um, doesn't mean that he shouldn't be trying better to do it, but it, it, you know, at this point, it is part of the the thing with Roy is you know he still wants to coach, he's active to coach, and I don't think that uh, that his health should be put on trial, so to speak. But given the fact that we've seen that a few times over the years, every time it does come up, I think it's just something that is. Uh, for better or worse, it's just to attach to him right now. But outside of, of those moments, when you talk to him, um, prepping for games, offseason, whenever, I mean, he still looks active, lively, and ready to go. But I do think – I think you're right because I think for the most part he's he's willing to be uh, bluntly honest with his team in a way that I think only a few other coaches at the major conference level are. And uh, he loves his team, but he doesn't like his team, if you get what I'm saying. And how how are, how is he going to get to the point where – um, he is truly satisfied with the group that he has here. And will they ever get there? Because if they don't, again, when can you trust this team? For whatever it's worth, Ken Palm projects uh, North Carolina to win one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in a row starting Tuesday against Notre Dame. So the schedule does lighten up a bit. Um, but keep in mind, Ken Palm also projected them to beat Louisville by double digits, and that did not happen. So, uh, as always, we'll see. I mentioned Cam Reddish's buzzer-beating game winner. We're going to talk about that momentarily. But first, let me tell you about SeatGeek. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated with hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability. It's just hard to know who to trust, which is why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets all into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever, and it really is simple. For example, my wife and I are going to Vegas later this month. We decided to go see Lady Gaga's show at the Park Theater at MGM. So I went to SeatGeek, typed in Lady Gaga, hit search, found the date of the show, and clicked it. Two clicks later, I was buying two tickets. And when I bought the tickets, I didn't have to worry about a thing because every SeatGeek purchase is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And you can also shop via the SeatGeek app. It's the simplest, most convenient way to do it. I have the app on my phone. You should have the app on your phone, too. So next time you need tickets to anything, a basketball game, football game, concert, Broadway show, anything, let SeatGeek help you. And don't forget to use promo code COLLEGEBB to get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's promo code COLLEGEBB for 10 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. At SeatGeek, life's an event. We have tickets. 
Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So Duke was 2.8 seconds away from losing at Florida State on Saturday, but then a replay gave the Blue Devils uh, the ball under the FSU basket. Coach K designed to play for somebody other than Zion because Zion was out with double vision, did not play in the second half. Lots of misdirection, and then Trey Jones found Cam Radish as open as you can possibly be. He thanked the shot. Duke wins 80-78, improved to 14-1. and Norlander, how did Cam Radish get that wide open? Uh, <laughs> massive defensive laps by Florida State because, one, expecting R.J. probably to flare out for the ball. If not, uh, Marquise Bolden, big boy down low, making a move toward the rim. Uh, neither of those things happened. Uh, to me, Reddish hitting the three, uh, awesome moment for him, and we can get to that in just a second. But him being that open and that big of a spot – despite the fact that he's a solid three-point shooter and takes more three-pointers than anyone on Duke's roster, I was a little surprised he didn't miss it because it is not a typical uh, confluence of events. When it's when you're taking a three-pointer or when you've got a big play just before time expires, you are expecting bodies to be around you. You are expecting to have to maybe fight through a screen. Uh, your normal rhythm of motion and expectation isn't to be wide open with literally no one within arm's reach of you and and more than that. He'll never have a shot, I think, that open again to win a game in his life, Will Cam Reddish. Um, so it was it was intriguing to see the way that Duke packed the paint. Reddish was able to slip out. Uh, Terrence Mann lost him. I don't know if Trent Forrest was supposed to switch off there or not. But regardless, um, I don't even think it was like this elaborate set. Like it was, a, it was a well-run set. Uh, Florida State totally got caught up. Whatever they and and the other the subtext of this is this. Uh, there's a lot of things. Real quick, Reddish turns the ball over on the previous possession. Then he fouls uh, PJ Savoy on a three-point attempt. Savoy only makes two of the three. Uh, which ultimately doesn't wind up mattering with the, with the score differential at the end of the game. But, the, you know, two no-nos for Reddish, right? And he had had a solid game, but, you know, it's, it's, it's late in the game and you're Cam Reddish and you've been slumping lately, and here you go, you make two bad plays, and are you going to cost your team the game? Then, um, then Duke gets to the foul line, Bear gets to the foul line, makes the first, misses the second. It's a weird carom. Florida State tries to save it and throw it off Duke. Instead, it goes off Florida State. So Duke gets bailed out on that. 
shouldn't have even happened. How often do you see that kind of play happen? Uh, so Duke gets a second chance, and then Reddish's play unfolds the way that it does. Bada-bing, bada-bang, bada-boom. Duke goes on to win. Florida State misses out on a huge opportunity. And for Reddish, uh, I wrote a column on it, a quickie column at cbsports.com. Feel free to go ahead and read it. I do think that that shot and that game uh, – I don't know if it will, but I do think we could well look back once we get to March and say the winner for Reddish at Florida State is where his season turned. He was up and down. Duke did not have a big four, maybe didn't even have a big three. It was Zion and RJ, and Reddish was just along for the ride. But since then, you can see his minutes have gone up, his, his shooting has improved, his scoring average has improved, his draft stock, which is in flux, is now firmly again in that top three to five range. I think this possibly could do it, and for Duke to do it without Williamson available in the second half, big-time win for the Blue Devils. Just a tremendous win, especially after Zion goes out, because you're not just on the road in a hostile environment, uh, because basically every time Duke's on the road, it's going to be a hostile environment. Uh, but you're on the road in a hostile environment, your best players, out, and you're playing a good team. Like Florida State's good and talented. And uh, so to get out of there, especially when it looked like it was a loss. I mean, keep in mind, uh, you know, on the final play, that ball wasn't theirs, or at least it wasn't ruled theirs by the officials. So it looked, you know, as we were watching it live, before we saw the replay, it looked like ball off of Duke. Florida State's got the ball with a lead, like a second left. Game's over. Like it looked for a moment with before we saw the replay, it was like, okay, Duke just took a loss. And then the replay shows quite clearly that the ball should belong to Duke, and then Duke runs the play, and Cam gets the wide-open shot. And so – um, you know, in some ways, it took what was momentarily perceived to be a Duke loss and flipped it into a, uh, a Duke win and, again, pushed them to 14-1. and one. I imagine when the AP poll uh, updates on Monday, they will maintain their spot uh, above everybody else. So, so Duke is headed in one direction. Ohio State is a team headed in the other direction. The Buckeyes have gone from 12-1 and one to 12-4 and four because of a three-game losing streak. They lost to Michigan State at home then lost at unranked Rutgers, then lost at unranked Iowa. And the other loss from earlier in the season is the home loss to unranked Syracuse. So uh, right now, Ohio State has zero wins over top 30 Ken Palm teams. They're just 2-3 and three against the top 50, just 5-4 and four against the top 115. And I think Chris Holman would probably agree with this, that his Buckeyes were, and we're finding this out, probably never actually as good as, as maybe their 12-1 and run, 12 and one start made them look. Would you agree with that? I do. I'm actually, I have to be honest here, though. You got out of that Duke topic quicker than I thought you were going to because I had a trivia time to throw at you. So can I just quickly just, I got a trivia time that's related to the Zion stuff. I want to see if you can know it. It's music stuff. Are you ready? Sure, sure. Okay. So Zion Williamson leaves the game with, <laughs> this is so stupid, but I wanted to see if you had it because I know some of the listeners will get it. So Zion Williamson leaves the game with double vision. By the way, he's expected to be fine in time for, I'm sure most of you are listening to this podcast on Monday, prior to Duke's game against Syracuse. Williamson should play for that game. His double vision apparently cleared up uh, soon after the game ended. Double Vision is also, I've had the song stuck in my head for basically a day because everyone kept saying Double Vision on Saturday. So do you know the band that had the hit Double Vision in the 1980s? Can you name the band? Is it Foreigner? Correct. Yeah, On the it? money. Uh, how, I, did, I, how did you know? Because I can hum it. I think I can yeah. hum it. Yeah. Da, 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 you hum well, it. Well, that's, so that's, that's definitely not it. I mean. She got double vision. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, 
I grew up with that stuff, you know? Exactly. But it's not one of those, unless you're a foreigner diehard, it's just not It's not one of their most well-known songs. And so uh, I thought you might think it could have been Hall & Oates or somebody else, but you nailed it on the money. Um, so good on you. Ohio State, other piece of trivia time. Although I'm not going to ask it because I'm just going to point it out. Ohio State, it's uh, claimed to not so much fame is in the debut version ever of the net rankings. It will forever be known as the team that was actually number one the first time uh, the net rankings were publicly ava- uh, available and published, and that was earlier this season. They have since obviously had a big drop. Holtman maintained all the while that he had some concerns with this team. I'll also say that Holtman, um, I don't know if he tries to do this uh, as a way of not reverse jinxing his team, but like he always plays down how good his teams are. This is just one of his things, his personality quirks. But behind the scenes, that staff has known that there are some shortcomings, and that's coming to roost a little bit. I still think Ohio State's going to wind up. He's a great coach. He's got a solid staff, and, and Wes and Caleb has been uh, he's been pretty good overall. Uh, I think they'll still work their way into the NCAA tournament, but I think this kind of drop back was inevitable. Buckeyes will be, I don't know. <sighs> Maybe finish 7th or 8th in the Big Ten, if I had to guess right now. And that's still, in my opinion, going to be good enough because I think the league is going to still still send. I think the Big Ten will probably send eight teams to the NCAA tournament. Well, they were uh, preseason Big Ten poll picked eighth. And when I talked to Chris in Chicago, um, I guess it was last month now, uh, you know, I, I mentioned you guys picked eighth in the Big Ten. He said, you know, eighth in the Big Ten is going to be pretty good. And I, I think that's true. Like eighth in the Big Ten probably gets you – uh, to the NCAA tournament, but given that they started twelve and one, you just don't expect a team that starts twelve and one with with what appeared to be some quality road wins in there at the time. You don't expect them to then go on a three game losing streak, including a loss at Rutgers. But 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 here we are. Um, they were supposed to be something like a bubble team in the preseason, and, and maybe that's what they'll end up being something like a a bubble team. But the next four games for them are interesting: Maryland at home, Purdue at home, then at Nebraska, at Michigan. You'd, you'd probably take anything better than one and three, wouldn't you? You would, and Nebraska is a, a team that's really starting to rally. Nebraska and, obviously, uh, Ole Miss, who we'll get to in a second here. You'd take that if you're Ohio State. Wait and see. I maintain that, like, even though Nebraska's starting to, to make some good strides, uh, Maryland's starting to make some good strides, um, Indiana, we'll see. It still feels like a jumble to me for the most part, and I throw Ohio State into that mix, so... Um, there's plenty of intrigue around all, almost all the major conferences, uh, almost all of them, not all of them, in college hoops. But for some reason, like you know, Iowa, I, I maintain. I said on the previous podcast, like I just, I can never get my arms around Iowa. Um, I, maybe that's a top 25 team. Maybe it's a top 40 team. I don't know. I, I want to watch the Big Ten almost nightly because. I don't have a firm grasp of at least half the league at this point. Maybe that will still be the case a month from now. Um, but I, I'm pretty firm on Ohio State not being a top four team in the league, but also not being as bad as it showed against Rutgers. So check this out. It's a wild league because Michigan State and Michigan, I think, are clearly a level above everybody else. We could debate whether you think the the uh, Spartans or Wolverines are the best team in um, the Big Ten, but, but the debate starts and stops with them. Um, after that, whether it's Maryland, Wisconsin, Purdue, Indiana, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, Ohio State, that's eight teams. I have had everyone – so Michigan and Michigan State have been in the top 25-1 and one from the preseason. They've obviously never dropped out. Those other eight, Maryland, Wisconsin, Purdue, Indiana, Minnesota, <laughs> Iowa, Nebraska, Ohio State, have all been in and out 
of the top 25 and one, which updates every day. So like you get movement, not every day, but you get movement more often than the, the typical once a week updates that, that people do. And so I've, I've, I think I've got right now, Maryland in Purdue in Indiana in, and, but like a few days ago, I had Minnesota in Wisconsin in um, Nebraska in I probably could have Iowa in right now. I think Iowa is probably my first team out. So they've got two really good championship contending teams in Michigan State, Michigan, and then a bunch of teams that are anywhere from 15 to 35 on any given day. Yeah, I, that's why I think it's minimum eight that go. Ten's the top. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, you'd have to have things break just right. I don't. Th- I think ten is a big ask, even though when you look around and you see, like, okay, the A-10, the Pac-12, the American, uh, are those conferences going to be able to provide enough worthy teams? And if they don't, then who's picking up the slack? Well, maybe you get a two-bid SoCon. Hashtag two-bid SoCon. I'm all in on that. Um, ten for the Big Ten would be a, obviously clearly a record for that conference and knocking on the door of the all-time record of 11. But um, we'll see if, if we get real oil and water separation going forward. Uh, it's why sometimes, uh, not sometimes, all the time, non-conference play can be so vital because what your league does outside of its conference, and then if you get a situation like this where you've got a lot of good teams, and <laughs> they're just going to trade blows to the chin. You can't, you can't avoid this. Like I'm really in on Maryland right now. I think Maryland is playing like a top 15 team in America. Very in on them. But I think because of the way the schedule just shakes out and the way the league is, Maryland is going to have a dip back. It's going to go through a stretch where it either loses back-to-back games or loses three out of six, and then it's going to slip back toward it. But I think at their strength, Maryland is a top-four team in the Big Ten this season. I'm fully in on the way that roster has developed, but we, uh, we just wait and see. I do still maintain that, as you mentioned. Both Michigan schools are a tier apart. But like Wisconsin is three and two in the league right now. Purdue three and two. Indiana three and two. Minnesota three and two. Iowa three and three. Nebraska two and three. Ohio State two and three. Basically, they've just been you know, one beats one and then then loses to the other and then beats yeah. somebody and then loses to the other. And if they keep that up all year long, and I know nobody wants to keep that up all year long, it's exhausting. But if they keep that up all year long, that is the best formula for maybe getting nine or ten teams in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, have Michigan State, Michigan stay separated and have the next eight just beat up on each other and, like, all finish, you know, around, you know, in that nine and nine, ten and eight range, eight and ten, nine and nine, ten and eight range in the league. That'd be the best way for the Big Ten to get ten. I'm not ruling it out because I don't think there's very much difference between uh, most of those teams. Again, as somebody who updates these rankings every day, um, I'm just shuffling two Big Ten teams out and shuffling two more in, uh, it seems like, uh, all the time. You mentioned Ole Miss. They had a hell of a week. Beat Auburn on Wednesday night, uh, then won at Mississippi State on Saturday. So now the same team that was picked last in the SEC is 13-2 and overall, 3-0 and in the SEC, ranked 14th in Sunday morning's top 25-1. and Really a remarkable story. So for people who don't follow Ole Miss basketball, and that's probably just about everybody listening, Ole Miss went 12 and 20 last season under the combination of Andy Kennedy and Tony Madlock. AK resigns. Ole Miss hires Middle Tennessee's Kermit Davis, who had gone five and one against the SDC in his final three years at Murphy in Murfreesboro. So Ole Miss is picked last in the preseason SEC poll, which like kind of made sense based on you know they were 12 and 20 last season and they don't they didn't enroll enroll on paper a difference maker, not a single top 100. Uh, prospects so there was nothing crazy about picking them last given the data that was available they started the season 97th at Ken Palm 
Now they're 30th at Ken Palm. It's a 67-spot jump, and nobody else in the top 40 at Ken Palm started anywhere close to as low as where Ole Miss started this season. And now Kermit Davis Jr. has got a chance to do, in his first year in the SEC, the same thing Kermit Sr. did in his first year in the SEC. Kermit Davis Sr., for those who don't know, former Mississippi State head coach. And his first – that's why uh, Kermit coaching at Mississippi State this weekend uh, was interesting. Like, he grew up in that building. His father coached at the rival of his current employer. And so Kermit Davis Sr. Uh, coaches at Mississippi State. His first season as head coach is the 1970-71 season. He wins SEC Coach of the Year. And I know it might be Rick Barnes' trophy to lose this season at Tennessee, but right now it is at least reasonable to suggest Kermit Davis Jr. could win SEC Coach of the Year in his first season in the league, just like Kermit Sr. did 48 years ago. That's pretty neat, right? That's awesome. That is really, really cool. Um, and I hope it happens. I mean, Barnes, yeah, if, if particularly if Tennessee runs away with it, he's going to get it. But if it's, if it's in doubt, be it with Ole Miss or anyone else, given preseason expectations uh give it to kermit the world needs more men named kermit by the way this is a, an opinion that has been expressed on previous podcasts i know that you share it with me parish um how about this terrence davis needs to be needs to be recognized for how well he has played this is his senior season has made a huge jump um in his shooting overall 56 percent from two-point range 42 percent from three those are very, very big jumps from where he was a year ago. Pretty much across the board and what and everything that he's doing from usage to how effective he is shooting, distributing, defending. Um, there are other players that are, you know, Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield, I think, lead the class at this point uh, for SEC Player of the Year. I get that. Um, but right now, I, I think I'd have Terrence Davis third, maybe fourth at worst, and we'll see if he can keep that up. And, he, and Ole Miss isn't just him, but I wanted to put a face to uh, what the program and the team has done outside of just Kermit because I watched all of that game, and and Davis has been uh, he's been awesome. Just has kind of paid his dues, and now in a senior season has, has stepped up even more so, deserving of some shine, and Ole Miss – Believe it, people, on pace to make the NCAA tournament, and it would take something weird at this stage not to get there. And a week ago, Parrish, I thought they were not playing in the NCAA tournament. My mind's changed. They're going to take losses. It's inevitable. There are better teams in the SEC than them. I get that. But I think at worst, this is a top-five team in the SEC. It's just, I don't know. I, I don't foresee the situation where it gets so bad it's not in the tournament. I think it's going to get there. T Terrence Davis, that's a South Haven High School graduate. You know who else is a South Haven High School graduate? Well, I don't think it's you because I think that you went to Horn Lake. I went to Horn Lake High. That's South Haven's rival. Okay. Um, okay. So impromptu trivia time. Can you give me a hint that will not give it away, but I might be uh, led down the right path? I, I have three children with her. Your <laughs> Well, I mean. All right. So this is actually now it got really tough. Um, okay. So it must be one Kelly Paris, South Haven. She, Kelly Parrish, is a South Haven High School graduate. Also, 
my mother, South Haven High School graduate, my father, South Haven High School graduate, and guess who also graduated? We might have discussed this before with my mother and father from South Haven yeah. High School, same year. We've talked about this. It's uh, it's some sort of presidential candidate because then we talked about how my dad went to high school with Hillary Clinton. No, it's not a presidential candidate. Oh. It's an author. Oh Hillary. yeah, oh yeah. It's uh, Grisham. John Grisham. Yeah, right. there we John- go. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we talked what? about we talked about it on this po- on that podcast because we mentioned how your uh, your parents went to high school with someone famous. I was like, oh yeah. By the way, my dad in Illinois was in the same high school as uh, as then Hillary Rodham. But anyway, so yeah, definitely not a presidential candidate. Continue. Hey, wait, no, actually, and I really don't need to get into your. Uh, we do not need five minutes, even three minutes, I guess, on your background of why you went to Horn Lake and everyone else went to South Haven. But why did that happen? Well, they're, they're two different places. Yeah, um, they're two. I, I get. I. I I understand that those are two different places, but um, if you're, I guess they just moved over one town. I guess your yeah. parents. Okay, that's exactly what happened. Uh, I think the way the story is explained to me, my parents started high school at Horn Lake, but then they built South Haven High School. Both my parents ended up graduating from South Haven High School. Then South Haven and Horn Lake became rivals. And my parents, like when they, you know, when they graduated high school and got married, they just bought a home in Horn Lake. So then my brother and I went to Horn Lake, but my wife, uh, who I did not know when we were in high school, um, because she's five, she's five years younger than, than I am. I didn't, I didn't meet her until she was in college. But she went to South Haven. Also, she subsequently taught, uh, you know, when, when she was a teacher, uh, she taught at, at South Haven High School. And now uh, Terrence Davis is making everybody over there proud because he is terrific, averaging 16.6 rebounds a game, four assists, shooting 42% from three-point range. And don't forget Brian Tyree, who sounds like a Game of Thrones character, doesn't he? Oh, <laughs> I, without a doubt. I want a, I want a Photoshop of like, him taking on like, uh, the Frozen Dragon. Yes. Like I told you, okay. Ole Miss basketball player or Game of Thrones character? <laughs> Brian Tyree. You'd lean toward Game of Thrones character, I think. 100%. <laughs> but he's averaging 17.5 points per game and shooting 40% from three-point range. And, like, though a lot of people are looking at this and going, because, listen, the top four scores on this Ole Miss team right now, um, Brian Tyree, um, from the North, Terrence Davis, Devontae Shuler, and Blake Henson, they were all on last season's team that went 12-20. So they are not completely relying on, um, you know, the same guys that went 12-20 and 20 last season, but they are largely relying on the same guys who went 12-20 and 20 last season. And some people are saying, like, this is, you know, when you replace Andy Kennedy with Kermit Davis, this is what you get. Um, I will say that AK deserves some credit for this because when I talked to Kermit in Nashville a few weeks ago, when I was working the Ole Miss Middle Tennessee game at Bridgestone Arena, um, I said, "Did you did, like? Did you know immediately that you were going to be way better than people realized?" And he said, "Well, I, I knew I inherited two really good SEC guards, and that's a great place to start." You know, AK left me two really good guards, and uh, I knew with those guys I'd have a chance to maybe surprise somebody, and um, they they've surprised everybody again. Picked last in the SEC, sitting there at three and zero right now, and I've got them fourteenth in the top twenty-five and one. And I don't know if they are really the fourteenth best team in the country, but um, I do know that they deserve to be there uh, right now, given what they've accomplished. Beat Auburn middle of the week, and then go to Mississippi State and beat a a, a good, like legitimate top twenty. 25 Mississippi State team. It was a, a tremendous week for, for Ole Miss basketball, tremendous week for, for Kermit Davis. Um, Gonzaga won at San Francisco uh, late on Saturday. Zags are now 16-2, and two, and Ken Palm has them 
um, as at least a six-point favorite to win every remaining game. Uh, so let me ask you this. You think Gonzaga runs the table, takes a 32-2 and record into Selection Sunday? Uh, I think it runs the table in the regular season. Um, I won't go as far as say it runs the table with the league tournament. That just, you know, you bring two, three more games into it uh, on a neutral floor. And USF, this was a really fun game. I think this was the best game of Saturday, Parrish. And the final score was not indicative of, this is actually a case for those who don't like margin of victory because they think that sometimes it can be misleading. Uh, you had that here. San Francisco was tied with Gonzaga with three and change left. It was only a two-possession game with like two and change to go. And then Gonzaga, which did not have Tilly available on the floor because he had fouled out. <laughs> you know, Zach Norvell had a three from the top of the key. Brandon Clark had a just studly block. Um, he was awesome. Uh, and Gonzaga pulls away and wins. But this was in doubt, no doubt about it. Um, this was Gonzaga's best chance to lose. Now, could it drop at BYU or St. Mary's? Potentially. Even Loyola Marymount's had some goodness to it. San Diego as well. But even, like, if you look at the WCC, which I think can, and I almost am willing to say will, but won't go there just yet. Also, be a multi bid league. Uh, you got to have the teams that played well in non conference stand up for themselves once you get to January here, and you're getting some bumps on the road with uh, with San Diego, Marymount, and those teams I mentioned. St. Mary's actually isn't rating as well this season; it has in recent years. Uh, it would be ironic if if uh, if St. Mary's for some reason won the auto bid down the road here in a year where it doesn't really have the non conference to uh, to validate that, given the way that they've been kept out of the tournament twice over the past. I want to say five, maybe six years, due to weak non-conference plays. San Francisco's a lot of fun. They've got the guy who I think has, and there are college basketball annually, has tremendous names. There are, you could, if you went to up and down every single roster, you'd find at least 40 names that are incredible. But there is no better one, given his name and his game and the fact that he plays for the Dons than Frankie Ferrari. He was terrific. I want Frankie Ferrari in the NCAA tournament. Bring on all of your Italian car puns. I don't care. The team is a lot of fun to watch. If it plays the way it played for most of the rest of the season against non-Gonzaga teams, San Francisco is going to have accumulated a resume that will be good enough to get them in, even as an at-large. Th I'm going to say right now, why not? Prediction. I will say San Francisco is in the NCAA tournament. That team is good enough for sure. And also, as a side note, it's been tracking well in the net rankings, which aren't everything, but the, it, it was highly ranked early, and it, it's it's dropped a little bit, but it's uh it hasn't fallen back in a big way. So keep an eye on USF. They are worth a watch, and to me, the second-best team in that league. Okay, a few thoughts here. Uh, first, uh, on Frankie Ferrari. Uh, obviously a terrific name. My favorite name in college basketball, Leaky Black. <laughs> dude, I, dude, I love Leaky Black. At, at North Carolina, yeah, it's 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 a name for many businesses. Yes, many it, many many occupations, I should say. It's a hundred percent okay. If I said Bree and Tyree, basketball player or Game of Thrones character, you'd you'd maybe lean Game of Thrones character. You're really going to go here, aren't you? You're going to go here. If I said rapper or North Carolina Tar Heel, Leaky Black. <laughs> okay, I thought I thought you were going to use a different uh, profession. So thank you. Um, <laughs> no. No, he said like it said like like if you heard Future had a new song out, like hey, have you heard the new Future track? It's Future with Leaky Black. Like, oh, that I'd would make a it make a hundred percent sense. Yes, it would. <laughs> it would. I want to hear the Leaky Black mixtape. Yes. <laughs> hey, Le Leaky Black's got a new mixtape. <laughs> hey, did you hear Leaky Black's in, in a lawsuit with his record label? Ah, uh, 
that's awesome. awesome. He's up there. That's that's for me. That's definitely that's definitely top ten. There's a there's a lot of good ones up there. Yes. And I can't believe Leaky Leaky Black signed with Def Jam. <laughs> <laughs> it's your turn. Let's keep trading these until we run out. Oh man, I don't. I don't. I. I. How about this? Next podcast, I'll bring up a few. I don't have it in front of me, and. I don't want to. I don't want to take too much time thinking about it. But he is. He is certainly up there because there are a lot. I will say when I do those, when I do those, when I do that one to three fifty three every season, like I'm just I'm I'm rolling through so many teams. I inevitably just stumble upon a number of incredible names. So I remember this past season specifically hitting up like twelve to fourteen. I was like, these are just all incredible. Like these are just amazing names right now. But I'm but I'm drawing a blank at the moment. Dude, I can't wait to see Luke Black at Coachella. <laughs> <laughs> And Leaky Black's opening up for Cardi B. Did you? Did you hear Leaky Black's opening for Cardi B? I heard that. Yeah, should be a good show. Man, better than I Foreigner. Heard, yeah, for sure. I heard Young Dolph and Leaky Black got into it out in L.A. Sadiq Bay, top twenty for me. <laughs> Sadiq Bay is also a good one, but I don't know, man. Leaky Black. I mean, Villanova also has. See, this is this. Cole Swider, that just sounds like a good name. Demir Cosby Roundtree. I mean, it's not like a top 10 name, but that Demir Cosby Roundtree sounds like an ABA All-Star from 1972. It's a fantastic name. Cole Swider sounds like a cop. He does. He sounds like a crooked cop. I'm not trying to assassinate your character, Cole. I'm just saying. Cole Swider sounds like uh sounds like yeah, just like just one of those uh one of those cops that you don't want to run have to run into, you know? Um I am Detective Cole Swider. I'm here to see Leaky Black. <laughs> that that would make perfect sense, wouldn't it? Uh, perfect, I I I guess. Yeah. I'm. De- um. Hello. Thanks for thank you for taking my call. I'm a Detective Cole Swider. I am investigating the murder of Leaky Black. That makes sense. This is Detective Cole Swider calling from uh, Philadelphia PD. Um, investigating the shooting of Leaky Black last night. Would you have five minutes to talk? That would work. Yo, Texas State has a player. <laughs> I just I brought up a random team on Ken Palm. There's a player on Texas State called Trey Lorenz Nottingham. That sounds like the biggest up-and-coming rapper in South London. Like That's an <laughs> incredible name, and he plays for Texas State. College basketball never lets down in this regard, ever, ever. Uh, I'm going to do it one more time. I'm, just, I'm bringing up a random team. Maybe it'll be a letdown, but all right, Charleston Southern. Who's on Charleston Southern right now? Okay. Okay. All right. Flanderous Fleming. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's do it one more time. Let's just see if we can get one more. Just total random team. Uh, All right, who's on Portland? I'm not feeling good about Portland. I don't feel like Portland's going to have a good one. Uh, a Josh McSwiggin, I'll take it. I'll, I'll take Josh McSwiggin, I guess. There's some other ones. Krishan Clark. Tequila Ferenzone. Oh, this is amazing podcasting, by the way. Shout out to the listeners. <laughs> hey, I want to hear from the listeners. We both do. We love you, men and women. If there is a particular college basketball player's name active this season, feel free to tweet it at us. We'll try and compile a list. There are so many, though, that, like truly incredible ones. We've only just uh, started tapping the well. And anyway, what were we talking about? We were talking – oh, well, Frankie Ferrari in San Francisco. But, uh, I mean, I mean the, that I, train has left the station. What I was talking about was, you know, it's 
it's a shame that Takashi is now facing federal charges, and I just hope it's a wake-up call for Leaky Black. That's that's true. Um, yeah. That's... Back to San Francisco. So they're fourteen and three right now. We talked earlier about Wofford jumping Ken Palm from sub one hundred into uh, the top fifty. Uh, Ole Miss has gone from in the nineties to the top thirty. San Francisco big jump from one thirty six to forty five right now. And so if they hold up uh, throughout the schedule, I do think that they've got a chance to to join uh, Gonzaga in the uh, NCAA tournament. They're not going to have these big, big quality wins unless they catch Gonzaga, you know, at the kennel later on the season, and good luck with that. But the computers are going to like them, and they're going to have a lot of wins. You can probably make a case for them on Selection Sunday. We'll see. Um, I mentioned that Ken Palm's got Gonzaga projected to win every game it plays. I, I should phrase it differently. They'll be favored in every game they play going forward, not necessarily expected to win them all but they'll be favored in every game going forward. There's three other top 40 teams at Ken Palm that are projected to be favorites in every remaining game they play. You know who they are? Uh, Nevada would be one. Correct. Uh, Buffalo would be two. Correct. Okay. Um, I don't you'll get the third. Don't think I'll get the third? Um, just trying to think. And I'm not cheating. I'm not looking right now. I actually have since closed the Ken Palm window since we... Wrapped up our name searching extravaganza. Uh, favored to win every game from here on out. Won't be any major conference team. Gonzaga, Nevada, Buffalo. Let me stop you. It is a major conference team. That's why I thought that you wouldn't get it. Hmm. I find it hard to believe that Duke would be favored to win at Virginia, but is it Duke? No. Duke okay. is is expected to be an underdog um, at Virginia. Yeah, that's. I think that's the right call. Uh, it's a. It can't be Kansas because Kansas won't be favored at Texas Tech, correct? Yeah, Kansas is expected to lose multiple games. Um. Oh, is it really? No, no way. I mean, hey, Villanova, by the way, won again, only Big East undefeated team, but Nova's not going to be favored at Marquette. It's not Villanova. Okay. Won't be anyone in the Big Ten. <laughs> No, it's not. It can't be Tennessee. There's no way. Tennessee? It's Tennessee. Get out of here. Really? They are projected to be a favorite in every game going forward. The Vols are now 14-1. and one. And you mentioned Gonzaga, San Francisco maybe being the game of the day. I, perhaps. I'd also throw Mississippi State Ole Miss in there. And I would throw Tennessee Florida in there because they were throwing uh, haymakers at each other. And then in the final Six minutes, Tennessee just pulled away, ends up winning by double digits once again. So they're 14 and one now with 13 double digit wins. Those and their 14 wins are coming by an average of 22, 23 points per game. They're killing people, and they're now up to number five at Ken Palm, and they are projected to be a favorite every game that they play going forward, including at Rupp Arena against Kentucky on February 16th. How about that? Um, okay, I I feel like. That will change. Okay, so that's what the the projections are in the metric. But I feel like by the time we get to the Tennessee at Kentucky game, they play at Auburn Parish or no? They close at Auburn. It's March ninth. Yeah. Seventy seven, seventy five. Okay, I I think that they will be an underdog at least once, probably probably twice, uh, prior to the NCAA tournament because if they if they win the SEC tournament, they're going to be favored, obviously. I mean, if they win the SEC regular season, they're going to be favored in every SEC tournament game. 
Boy, their their last four road games, check this out. At Kentucky, at LSU, at Ole Miss, at Auburn. That ain't easy. It's not, and they're going to lose at least one of those, and so if they lose early, then it's going to increase the likelihood they'll be an underdog uh, on the back end, either the, the third or the fourth game there. All right, before we get out of here, there's only one game on Monday or Tuesday uh, between two ranked teams, and it's Virginia Tech at Virginia. The Cavaliers moved to 15-0 and uh, this weekend with j- just crushed Clemson at Clemson. Only two teams have cracked the 60-point barrier against them, and everybody is looking forward to next Saturday's Duke-Virginia showdown at Cameron. I'll be there. I'm looking forward to it. But Virginia could get tested by Virginia Tech. The Hokies are 14-1, and they won at Virginia in overtime last season. So um, this is going to be a wild week for Virginia. You host Virginia Tech, and then you go on the road to Duke. You think they go 2-0, 0-2, or 1-1, the Cavaliers this week? I will, I'll say they'll go <laughs> – I think they'll go 1-1. I still think this is the best team in college basketball. I might even still hold that opinion if they lose against Duke and the game is competitive given the uh, the venue – I want to say, this is from memory, Parrish. I, one, I want to say that Virginia Tech is the only league loss Virginia has suffered in, like, GP. I'm talking, like, 29 league games or something like that. It's It's been – and they picked them off, as you said, at Charlottesville. And then I uh, – so this is also true, then. This one hand feeds the other. That means that last season, Virginia won at Duke. I remember watching that game uh, – Asking him that team to do that in back-to-back seasons is a bit of a tall task, given the uh, quality of opponent. I'll say one and one, but I'll also say this: if Virginia wins these next two, Parish, I know you've got your rules, but come on, like if they do that and are still undefeated, you will. I think you should seriously consider putting them at number one in your rankings and having and joining forces with me, because I've had the Wahoos one in the power rankings the past two weeks. I would have to consider it. Um... I, I don't believe I've ever dropped a team from number one without it losing since it took possession of number one. And that's really my argument for still having Tennessee there. Like when I made Tennessee the number one team in the country, nobody questioned it, you know, given the resume at the time. And all Tennessee's done since then is gone out and beat every team it's played by double digits. Mm. So I, I just even even though I'm, I'm not. I'm not dumb. You think I can't look at the bodies of work? I mean, God, you could, if you listen to this podcast, you know all I do is just uh, scan resumes via kin <laughs> hours a day, right? So, like, I, I'm, I'm – for all you Duke fans tweeting me, I am very aware that Duke has, at this moment, a better resume than Tennessee. But when I moved Tennessee to number one, that was not true. And all Tennessee's done since then is just beat literally everybody by double digits. And so I just I'm, I I don't want to punish the number one team in the country that that wins every game it plays since it became number one uh, by double digits and that's always been my philosophy. If you become number one, you're gonna stay number one unless you lose a game. Um, but yeah, if Virginia goes to 17 and 0 uh, with a win at Duke, and it would also include a win over uh, Virginia Tech, and what else do they already have on the resume? Um, they've got a win over Wisconsin, a win over Maryland. On the road. Um, the Maryland game came on the road. A win over Florida State and then a win at Clemson. Um, I would at least have to consider it, right? Um, I've never done it, but I would – yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be open-minded about it. I would I would at least consider it. and Because, because I, I don't disagree with you um, in the sense that if somebody wanted to argue Virginia's the best team in the country, 
Um, I, I think you can reasonably make that argument. Jack Salt, by the way. Top 30 name. Virginia guy. That's another solid name. Jack Salt. Sounds like uh, a, a very uh, low-level appearance in the next Avengers movie. I feel like he's going to factor into the Marvel Cinematic Universe in some sort of way. So shout-out to Jack Salt, who, uh, who hails from down under. Uh, certainly, uh, certainly a name to... Uh, to watch out for, I guess. I have no idea what I'm saying. That's going to be a good game. <laughs> uh, uh, excuse me. Uh, my name's Detective Jack Salt. I'm here investigating the uh, a murder attempt on, on Leaky Black. I was wondering if you had 10 minutes to, to, to talk to <laughs> Maybe that's what the podcast will be going forward. We just take 10 minutes inventing little stories that involve Leaky Black. <laughs> I, I, the one thing I need to make clear, I don't need this podcast episode going through channels, getting back to Devin Downey, thinking that Leaky Black's the new Devin Downey. You got a, one Carolina versus another Carolina. That's not what this is, okay? Devin Downey is a great name as well. So we're not – it's just, you know, Leaky Black. It's a, it's up there. I, Paris has it higher than I do. But I, I Leaky Black to me is a top ten name regardless. I just like it because it's – like if you heard um, that Best New Rap Artist – one of the nominees was Leaky Black. You'd be like, that makes like that 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 sounds exactly that that makes sense to me. Yep. Like if, if you were like, uh, man, I don't know, mixtape is better, Young Dolphs or uh, Black Youngster or Leaky Black. You'd go maybe Leaky Black. I think I like Leaky Black. I want to run the Jewels collaboration with Leaky Black in 2019. That's what I want. RTJ Four is coming out in 2019. I saw. Uh, I saw Killer Mike tweet that the other day, or or somebody tweeted. LP might have tweeted. I saw it on Twitter, and Killer Mike's got a Netflix show coming out. You see that? I did actually. I'm 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 in on that as well. But beyond all other things, I need an RTJ collaboration with Leaky Black. So that's got to happen after the season. Yeah, like uh, what if the fourth track on RTJ Four has a guest verse from Leaky Black? North Carolina number one in all the rankings. If that happens, how but much you think? How much you think Leaky Black charges for a guest verse? I don't know, 150, something like that. I think that's reasonable. Got to be. Yeah. Got to be. Um, yeah, I think to circle back to Virginia Tech, Virginia, I think um, if you go one and one this week, if you're Tony Bennett, you feel pretty good about it. Like, uh, that's a that's a reasonable week. You, you'd have a win over a fellow top 10 team, and then uh, either way, like, if you go, if you're beating a top 10 team, if you beat either Virginia Tech or Duke, and then you'd have a loss to a top 10 team, no big deal. But I bet you Tony would feel different about that. Um, if he wins the first one, if you win the first one, then you yeah. just want to go take the second one. So I will be going there later in this week. So when we podcast on Friday, um, at least my half of the podcast will be originating from Durham, North Carolina. Shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Justin South, South Carolina, shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. He's the legend. Shouts to Larnell, shouts to Lee Black. And please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rate it favorably. Like you could just forget about like that whole fifteen minutes we spent on the names, and, and then and then rate it favorably. Uh, five stars, <laughs> not comments. That's all I'm going to ask. But I mean, so please do that. We will talk to you again on Wednesday. Till then, take care.